Well, good morning. Good to see you all. I had the privilege of having some yokel local brisket with a bunch of the summit people last night and uh, enjoyed some of your some of your barbecue. I'm grateful for that. Um, it's neat that you've got two elders uh, or several elders being commended to, to you this morning. I want to encourage you um, after the service to come by and say hi to them and to thank them. It's a significant step to become an elder, to serve God's people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just come up and make sure you encourage them, maybe ask how you can pray for them. Um, <clears throat> well, it's, uh, it's a joy to be with you, and I'm um, looking forward to our time together. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word for us. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, I, I appeal to you now with my brothers and sisters for the light to shine. Think of the scripture, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Would you shine on us? Would you warm our affections? Would you um, bring light to our minds? Would you illuminate our souls as we gather around you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard the saying, you know, that the church is the hope of the world. And every time I hear that, I, I kind of wince. Because really, the church is the hope of the world? I mean, I've seen the scandals. Um, I see the statistics of church decline. Could it really be <laughs> the church is the hope of the world? And Jesus here says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world? Is it possible? Who is he talking about? Who's the light? What difference does the light make? Who is the light? What difference does the light make? And how is it distinct from the darkness? Let's look at a particular light, a public light, and a provocative light. A particular light. Jesus uh, climbed a hilltop, a a mountain, and uh, there he was surrounded by people pressing in. And as they did, he declared, you are the light of the world. Now, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the crowds? We know from the gospel the crowds can be quite fickle. There are crowds that came to just see Jesus' miracles. There are crowds that when they heard difficult teachings, they departed. They left. There are people in the crowds that stand in awe. So it can't be the whole crowd that's the light of the world. 
You see, just because you're in the crowd doesn't mean you're in the light. It's a good place to be. It's good to gather on Sundays. It's good to be close to the light, to feel its warmth, to, uh, to appreciate its clarity. But it, it doesn't make you the light simply because you're in the crowd. So who then is the light? In verse 1, we see that the disciples emerge from the crowds and they come to Jesus. So perhaps uh, Jesus is thinking of the disciples. The disciples are the light of the world. But then there's that one disciple that went dark, Judas, who betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss. So if it's not the crowds and it's not the disciples, well, then who is the light? Right before this, Jesus makes a series of declarations or nine pronouncements. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the righteous. Blessed are the persecuted. The light is a beatitudinal people. That's who the light is. People that are meek. People that are righteous. People that are humble. People that are peacemakers. People that are persecuted. They're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I say, well, if, if, a, if the light of the world is beatitudinal people, what is a beatitude? A beatitude is a, a teaching uh, that promotes flourishing. It's a divine teaching that promotes human flourishing. So you say, well, what does Jesus teach? How is it that, the, that we can become light? He teaches us to be a particular Light, uh, to emit a, a particular light. What is that light? Well, it is that mercy. It is that poor in spirit. It is that righteousness. It is that peacemaking. It is that persecuted people. See, this is Jesus' vision of the church, a people of beatitudinal light. So how then do we admit that kind of of light. There's a lot of sunbeams to juggle in there. So how do we do it? Let's say that you, you focus on the righteous, uh, that you uh, stand up for justice, that you're in a particular cause. Well, if you don't also have meekness, you'll look down on those who don't join your cause. You see, you need the other sunbeams. You need the other beat. You need more than just that one band of light. Or maybe you're meek. You, you, you cultivate meekness. But if you don't also cultivate righteousness, you won't uh, stand up for what is right. You won't talk about the gospel. You'll just be humble, meek, little me. You see, we need all of the bands of light, the full spectrum of beatitudinal light. If we leave one out, we won't truly shine because the beatitudes hang together to produce society-enhancing light. Which raises the question, then, how do we get that light to pour through us? Now, two ways. First, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he uses a plural pronoun. When he says, you are the salt of the earth, it's also a plural pronoun. So the first way that we can be people of beatitudinal light is communally. We need one another in order to, to transmit this particular light. 
it's not just beatitudinal, it's communal. Um, it reminds me of a, a small group I was a part of. Uh, there was one individual that was very passionate about the poor, had a heart of mercy, compassionate. And it, every, every month they would remind us we need to go serve uh, these people that we had adopted to, to care for them, to provide meals for them. And, uh, you know, I, I might forget, but they would, they would remind me, they would remind all of us we need to care for the poor, we need to show mercy. And then there was the guy that, who was particularly meek. He was a model of repentance. He was always the first person to confess his sin and then turn to Jesus. And it just it made, made us want to confess our sin and turn to Jesus. You, you see that the different people in the community were helping us transmit this particular glory, the glory of the character of Christ. You see, the, the, the beatitude of light is a communal a communal light. It takes the church to embody the full spectrum. And so to do this, you got to show up in one another's lives. If you're in a fight club, you got to dig in and, and, and confess sin and turn to Jesus and cultivate that beatitudinal light. If you're not in a fight club, a group of two or three of Men or women getting together to fight the fight. Get in one and get serious about turning up the light of the glory of the Beatitudes. You see, when we're non-committal, when we're, we're self-serving, when we're independent, the light fades. It, it flickers. So the first way to, to be a people of Beatitudinal light is communally. Well, second, where does this light come from? Now, Jesus also says in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. So which is it? Is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? Well, it's both, but in a particular order. Jesus' light is unique because his light is eternal. It is unfading, undiminished, Pure, holy, infinite light. He is the original light. Revelation 21. The city, the church, has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. Jesus is the original light. That makes our light derivative light. Our light comes from the lamp himself, from the eternal source. That's where our light comes from. And that eternal light breaks in from the future into the present to transform and to flood through God's people. You say, well, how does it do that? Ephesians 5 says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do we become light? We become light in the Lord. Not in ourselves. We become light in his presence, not in the presence of ourselves. We become light in the Lord. If you're in Christ, you're children of light, and you are in the Lord. In uh, candlelight services, you know, the whole church will gather and everyone has a candle and a wick. 
and a person up front lights their candle. And until you place your wick into someone else's light, you don't burn with light. But when you do, when you place your wick in light, it's eliminated. In a similar way, when we place our faith in Jesus, we become in him and we become light. In the Lord. And that act has to be cultivated day after day, morning after morning, to sit down and to behold the beauty of his light, to feel the warmth of his love, to be stunned by the glory of his beatitudinal perfections. We have to choose it, to walk as children of light. When my son was a toddler, the first word that he learned was light. So every room he walked into, he would point to it and say, light, 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 over and over again. Let's turn to Jesus in childlike awe and point to the light. To Jesus, the eternal light of the world. And emit that particular Beatitudinal glory. We've looked at the particular light, but what is the light for? Uh, What's the point of the light? What is Jesus trying to get across when he talks about a city on a hill and a lamp that can't be covered? Well, what's the similarity between those two things, the city and the lamp? Uh, Neither of them are hidden. They are public lights, right? Uh, And when ancient people were traveling a distance, they didn't have, you know, uh, roadside lights to illuminate their way. They walked in darkness. And so they had to find uh, a beacon, a city on a hill, in order to make it to their destination. They needed a public light. Christianity is not a private faith. It's a public faith. It's not an individual light. It is a public light. Why is that? Well, because... Jesus was crucified publicly. Jesus was raised publicly. Jesus ascended publicly. Christians for centuries have been publicly proclaiming the gospel to the nations. And Jesus will return visibly. It is a public faith. Jesus has no room for private Christianity. This is a public light. So if you think I just kind of keep it to myself, well, that's not the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. It is a light that truly shines. It's a little iPhone flashlight. It is a massive light, a spotlight, a beacon of light. So what might this look like in our lives? Verse 15 says, the lamp is not covered, but placed on a stand. Why? To give light to all in the house. So Jesus is using a lamp analogy to show us what the light is supposed to do. And it's interesting. He uses this this particular uh, image in the Gospels over and over. And so maybe let's look just briefly at three, three uses, three ways that we can be a particular light. In the Gospel of Mark, the light is not put under a basket. Uh, but it's put out to expose and to redeem darkness. You might call it spiritual light. Uh, 
That the, the first way to be a people of particular light is to have spiritual light. Well, what might that look like? Uh, my son is a gamer, and uh, online he has a whole community of friends from around the world. And uh, one day, one of those uh, gaming friends shared that he was kind of overwhelmed by the darkness in the world. And so my son said to him, well, that, that's because you need, you need God in your life. You need the light of God. And so he set up a call, and he, got, and he explained the light of the gospel to this guy. And he shined spiritual light. Are you shining spiritual light at the workplace, in the neighborhood, family members, people who are lost in darkness, who need that spiritual light, who are hopeless and need the hope of Christ. See, the first way to be a particular light is to have spiritual light. The second is in the Gospel of Luke, a light that enters the eye and then it suffuses the whole body. The, the, the images are kind of being possessed by the light, flooded by the light. It's, it's an image of moral excellence that we are not just spiritual, but we are moral people. What we do, what we say, what we watch, what we say about others, how we act, uh, moral light. You see, beatitudinal people don't just listen to Jesus' teachings. They internalize Jesus' teachings and produce moral beauty. So there's spiritual light and there's moral light and Finally, in our passage in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the light is, among other things, it is social. Uh, it produces justice. It produces uh, mercy, uh, peace, shining into the world. You might say it's social light. That a people of beatitudinal glory, people who are in the Lord, are people who transmit that light into society. And so I think of people that uh, clothe and feed the poor in North Texas through the uh, uh, 25 Project, uh, the a uh, project that your church is a part of. Or the medical services offered, offered to the community through the Hope Women's Center. You see, the city on a hill is a city of light, a public light that renews the city spiritually, morally, and socially with the light of Jesus Christ. We've looked at the particularity of the light, uh, Jesus and the church, the point of the light, that it's public, not private. Finally, the provocative light. And Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the light provokes a response. People see it in your life and they give glory to your fathers in heaven. And this is kind of thing has been happening for centuries in Western civilization. People, Christians, doing, emitting light that is public in nature and giving glory to our Father in heaven. You, you remember COVID? We were looking like crazy for a vaccine. Everybody wanted, wanted to be free of this, this uh, moral disease. Well, uh, during that time, I did a little investigation. And Edward, Edward Jenner was a Christian scientist who discovered the first vaccine. A Christian, public light, light that provoked a response as people learned about his discoveries. Uh, the human genome, which has been cracked for all kinds of medical advances, was uh, cracked by the Christian scientist, 
Francis Collins. Again, public light that provokes a response as you shine your light in the world. Uh, This is public faith in a public redeemer. But this also happens in everyday ways. You know, another way to, to kind of transmit the light, to provoke a response is to be, you know, teaching your children to tell the truth. Uh, to not deceive and not to gossip, but to husbands and wives to serve one another as Christ serves the church. But to be a kind of people that provoke a response, uh, living as those who are at peace with those who are against us, not at war with those who oppose us, the peacemakers. See, our earthly behavior should demand a heavenly explanation. I mean, think about this. You know, when people compliment you at work for a, a job well done, do you say, oh, thank you very much? Yes, you know. Do you take credit for your moral or vocational light? Or your, well, what should you do? You should point to, to the light that has made you uh, work ethically. Right? Uh, I, I think of uh, a friend of mine. He was at a coffee shop. The coffee barista made him this beautiful cappuccino. And as she handed it to him, spilt it all over him. And my friend didn't get irate, didn't, you know, he, he, she, and she was so apologetic. She was just profuse. And he said, listen, God has been so gracious to me, the least I could do is be gracious to you. You, you see, pointing away from himself, provoking a response in that gracious act. Or maybe people say, you're so compassionate, you're always looking out for others, you're li- a great listener and you care for people. Or you just absorb that compliment? Or can you remind people that, you know, God has shown me so much compassion in Jesus Christ. The least I could do is show some compassion to you. Let's do good works that give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary who told the story of a missionary and his companions making their way east across India on a long journey. And as they made their way, uh, the people, the passers-by, began to observe a glow on their faces. And eventually they asked, you know, Where, what is this glow on your face? And they pointed to the eastern sun. They pointed to the light. If they had had a phone, they could have uh, shown them the light. (laughs) The faint glow on their faces. And Newbegin points out, essentially, this is a derived light. A minority going the opposite direction of the majority with the faint glow of the new day sun upon their faces. Will you point to the light? Will you be a public light? Will you... Enjoy the light eternal in the Lord. Be who God has made you to be. Children, walk as children of light. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we, we love this image. It is so beautiful. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is no flaw in you There is no injustice in you. There is no lack of character. You are always pure. You are always good. You are always true. Would you flood us with your light even now as we confess the dark shadows in our own hearts? 
Would you warm us with the, the felt forgiveness of Jesus Christ? And would you move us to be a people of public, provocative light? In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.